It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can win the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL for FanRag Sports, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. As I mentioned, I also cover the NFL for FanSided, and I'm going to have a seven-round, seven-round mock draft coming out this week for FanSided, so keep a lookout for that. I will tweet it. I will tweet it from this account, and I will tweet it from... My own account as well. You can follow the podcast at Locked On Packers. If you want to see that tweet with the with the mock draft in it, that's where it will be. And you can find all of the podcast content at LockedOnPackers.com. We're going to get into a, a lot of combine talk today and, and the rest of the week. But before we get there, there's something that I want to bring up because it was a conversation that was started a couple of days ago on Twitter and, and continued. And it was how the Packers ought to handle the tight end position in this offseason. And my contention has been, do not sign anyone, draft someone, and let's go. And I've had some pushback on that. And obviously I've talked about this Packers obsession, Packers fan obsession with Trey Burton. And here's what it comes down to for me. In 2010, the Packers won a Super Bowl with Andrew Corliss and Donald Lee at tight end. Andrew Corliss was a rookie. Donald Lee was uh, a non-factor most of the season. Jermichael Finley only played, I think, five games. You can say, oh, well, they had better weapons then. Okay, they had no running game, a banged-up offensive line. Jordy Nelson caught 45 passes that year. People act like Jordy Nelson has been this guy forever. He hasn't. He broke out over the course of the second half of the season and in the playoffs but that was he was not some elite Pro Bowl player in 2010. He wasn't. Greg Jennings, James Jones, Donald Driver, they had some nice players. They did. Randall Cobb was not around. They won the Super Bowl with basically a rookie and a, and a journeyman tight end. In 2014, the, the closest the Packers have been to the Super Bowl since 2010. They had a rookie tight end who wasn't very good. They had Jordy Nelson in his prime and Randall Cobb in his prime. But they had rookie Devontae Adams, who you may recall, wildly inconsistent. There were times he couldn't catch a cold naked on an ice sheet. Aaron Rodgers was the MVP and the Packers were in the NFC Championship game. They should have been in the Super Bowl, probably should have won the Super Bowl with a rookie tight end. This is about the way you allocate resources. You do not need to throw resources at the tight end position. Yeah, we saw what the team looked like with Jared Cook and without him last year. And there were definitely some some stark contrasts. And Jared Cook definitely made the offense better. He did. I'm not saying don't invest in the position at all. What I'm saying is you don't need to sign someone. Let's say Austin Safarian Jenkins. He's going to cost... Spot track has him at, at $4 million. I, I think that's way low. 
Jack Doyle had just signed a contract three years, 18.9. That's 6.3 per year. CJ Fedorowicz just signed for 7.2 almost. It's hard to see him getting less than six. He had a great season in New York. I know he's got some some baggage, was unceremoniously released from Tampa Bay after, after multiple issues, some DUIs. Apparently he's clean and sober now. I hope for his sake that that's true. I have a hard time believing that in this day and age, with the tight end position being what it is, that he can't get $6 million. If I am going to spend $6 million, I need a guy to give me more than a player like Austin Safarian Jenkins can. The Packers do not need help in the red zone. Rodgers is that good. And on third down, he is a chain mover and he is a red zone threat. Jordy Nelson can be that. Randall Cobb can be that. Why allocate resources and put money toward a particular area where there is no value add? He makes the team better relative to the players that are there. But how much better and at what cost? I would rather take that 4 or $5 million and, and say, okay, we're going to pay Malcolm Butler. Or we're going to pay Tremaine Johnson. Or we're going to try and get Allen Robinson away from Jacksonville. As unlikely as that is. Th- this is an opportunity cost question. They don't need to throw resources at this. Not to mention, there are quality players in the draft. Dallas Goddard, Mark Andrews, Hayden Hurst, Ian Thomas, Mike Gusecki. You can get Austin Safarian Jenkins, two, three, four years younger, and at a fraction of the price. And this is also based on my belief that, that Lance Kendricks is not washed. He is not useless. I think he can be a, a, a serviceable tight end. He can be better than Richard Rodgers was in 2014. That's all he needs to be. There is no need to act like the sky is falling with this position. Because they can just take a rookie, slide him in, and move forward. Especially if they do sign someone. This is all taking into account that I think they're going to sign a receiver in free agency. And I think they're going to draft a receiver. So why am I putting money into a tight end position that's not going to make that big an impact on my team? When I could take that money and spend it on a receiver who could have a much bigger impact on my team. Dante Moncrief at $8 million, I know that's a lot more than some fans want to spend. But he could have his ceiling is definitely twice what Austin Safarian Jenkins' ceiling is on this team. Dante Moncrief could be a legitimate 80-catch receiver in this offense. An 80-catch, 1,000-yard, 8-10 touchdown receiver. Before we move on, I want to remind you about our Pro Football Focus Edge giveaway. This is a great time to get in on all the Pro Football Focus action because they have updated their college stats. They've updated a bunch of their pro stats that go back even further than they did before. Get behind the paywall, a $39.99 value by putting your name and your Twitter handle in a review of this podcast on iTunes. You'll be entered to win a Pro Football Focus Edge subscription. Get all of the data you've been missing. It is as easy as your name and your Twitter handle in a review of this podcast on iTunes. The reopening is right around the corner and there's a chance that no one has seen your balls in months. Don't ruin your first post-quarantine date with a ball fro. Would you show up on the first day of school without a haircut? 
Manscaped is here to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Do you really want the next person to see your down there hair to think you weren't expecting anyone to see it? No one wants that. The Lawnmower 3.0 is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. Because of their ceramic blade and skin safe technology, your snags will be reduced while preparing yourself for post quarantine life. The Perfect Package 3.0 comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0, water resistant, cordless body trimmer, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag for you to use when you're done quarantining. The Perfect Package 3.0 also comes with the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver, the perfect one-two punch to keep your one-two punch fresh all day long. Subscribers to the Peak Hygiene Plan get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer stays fresh and clean so you can too. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, so treat yourself for making it through quarantine with the Lawnmower 3.0. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code locked on at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the promo code locked on. Matt Williamson brings the scouts' perspective to the Locked On NFL podcast. You got to talk. 2018 quarterbacks. Josh Allen has the best quarterback record aside from Lamar Jackson, but the lowest completion percentage other than Josh Rosen. He's just been a complete garbage for the most part when he's been allowed to play. Yeah, that's what throw a couple nuggets out on Allen. And I know he's a lot bigger, a lot stronger, but he kind of reminds me of early career RG3. What's kind of remarkable about Allen is he is so gifted. And he got better, I thought, this past year, which is encouraging with the anticipatory throws and the touch of his throws. But his deep ball passing is like the worst in the league. Hear Matt with co-host Brian Peacock every day on Locked On NFL. Subscribe or follow today wherever you get your podcasts. The NFL Combine starts tomorrow in Indianapolis, and it, it works a little strangely in that they come in and it's this big, uh, awkward meat market where where guys are measured and they are poked and prodded and and have to basically parade in front of uh, every important person in the NFL. And it is it's awkward. It's weird, and it's also telling. It's also important. The measurements are important, particularly for the Packers. Now, we don't know how Brian Gutekunst is going to handle the NFL draft in terms of... It has to be the NFL draft. It's the only draft that they're doing. He's not going to draft for the Bucs. Um, Ted Thompson had rigorous thresholds for the team at certain positions. They were, they were less rigid at others, but... There are a couple positions in, in particular where he was extremely consistent with saying, if a guy doesn't meet requirement X, Y, and Z, then he's not a Packer-type player. And there's always exceptions to the rule. Rarely are there exceptions in the early rounds. Those exceptions are usually made later. Or they're made for players who have fallen well below where it seemed like they would. For instance, Randall Cobb is small for their metrics and and was a little on the lower end in the agility in the agility drills but he had fallen pretty far and so the packers said well 
we're, we're going to stop the fall of this good player, regardless of whether or not he fits particularly with what we want to do. The interesting thing, receivers in particular, so the, the thresholds, and this was tremendous, tremendous, outstanding research done by Justice Muscada. He wrote about this for Cheesehead TV. Um, I, I highly suggest you go find the links. The uh, the original article is finding Ted, or being Ted Thompson final Packers draft tendencies update and, and draft board. That is from a year ago, April. Uh, he looked at the the thresholds in relation to that draft. Uh, I hope he does it for this draft as well. But um, Luckily, the information is out there so that now we can talk about it. Packers receivers. Ted Thompson likes them within an eighth of an inch of six feet tall, at least 188 pounds. They had to run at least four, five, six in the 40 and record at least a 7.083 cone. Now, that doesn't seem like, as Justice points out, that doesn't seem like a high bar. Doesn't seem like it's a difficult standard, except when you look at the NFL and the guys drafted, the Packers draft players with these qualifications at a rate essentially three times the league average. So the Packers draft these kinds of guys more than anyone else. And it again, it seems like a normal number. Big-ish, thick-ish in their body, fast-ish, and quick ish. Usually what happens is guys with flaws, they're missing one of those key areas. So the quick twitch guys are too small or the speed guys are too small or the big fast guys are not quick enough. There isn't, Harvard did a study on on the combine and found that speed has no direct correlation with success in the NFL. Being fast is not a guarantee of anything. In fact, receiver has the smallest correlation to success with the combine. I think the reason for that is there is so much nuance in what it takes to be a receiver and a key component, probably the most key component of being a receiver, is catching the ball. And you can't measure that at the combine. It's another reason why the combine doesn't really matter for quarterbacks because... Their throwing performance is irrelevant. It's a weird situation. It's a sterile situation. And you have to have some baseline athleticism. And so teams do care about some of those measurements. I know Tom Brady, notoriously, one of the worst athletes ever at the Combine. Seriously. He is an outlier. And the Packers just, they don't do outliers. So once these guys are measured, there are going to be players who will not be on the Packers draft board simply after the next few days, before they before they put on shorts and go run or jump or catch a pass or do whatever. There will be guys who just are in all likelihood will not be on the Packers draft board. DJ Moore from Maryland, a very popular name. A legitimate day two pick has some comparisons to Stephon Diggs, who also went to Maryland, but he's listed at 5'10", and he might not even be 5'10". Now, if he gets in 5'10 and a half, 5'10 and three-fourths, maybe that's close enough. Now, again, eighth of an inch. Deontay Burnett from USC, he's only 170 pounds. He is probably not 
on the Packers' radar if he measures in that way, and he probably didn't put on 20 pounds in the offseason. Now, without seeing the 40-yard dash, obviously we can't know some of the guys who are who are going to miss that. But I think certainly of the best guys, Cortland Sutton, the receiver from SMU, Chris Trapasso was on the show last week talking about him and, and why he makes sense for Green Bay at 14. There are other people that think he's not even a first-round pick. He could be a second-round pick. Well, if he runs slower than 4-5-6, pretty likely he won't be a first-round pick. And if he doesn't, he probably won't be a Packers pick at all. There are guys in the mid-round, names you may have heard of, great names, by the way, like Equinemius St. Brown from Notre Dame, Traquan Smith, UCF, Alan Lazard from Iowa State, Marcel Aitman from Oklahoma State, Auden Tate from Florida State, guys with talent, but guys who might just not run fast enough. And then it'll be very important for borderline players. Guys like Christian Kirk from Texas A&M, James Washington from Oklahoma State. Are they really 5'11", or are they 5'9 and 7 eighths? Are they 5'10 flat? Are they 5'10 and a quarter? The really interesting one to me, Anthony Miller. He's a receiver that I that I gave to the Packers in, in this mock draft that's coming out, should be tomorrow. He's listed at 5'11", 190. He is a a very sudden player, explosive in and out of his routes, can take a slant for six, tracks the ball extremely well down the field. Ideal Randall Cobb replacement. This is another reason why this could be the year to get rid of Randall Cobb because there are a ton of slot receivers in this draft. But if Anthony Miller comes in and it turns out he's only 5'9", or he's only only really 183, then he's just probably not going to be on the Packers draft board. So I'll be, I'll be keeping an eye on this. I'll be keeping it updated. I'm sure Justice will as well. And maybe after the draft, I'll have him on and we can talk about some of this stuff. If you follow me on Twitter, as guys test, guys who could be on the Packers roster, or guys who could be on the Packers radar, given the rounds that they're, that they're being drafted in, then I think I'll be tweeting out whether or not they're, they're really in play for Green Bay. I don't think first-round receiver is likely. I think second-round receiver is possible. I think third-round, fourth-round, fifth-round, those are the rounds that Green Bay generally likes to get these guys, but especially the second. I would find it very hard to believe that they would use a first-round pick on a receiver, especially in a draft that has a bunch of them. Defensive back is another interesting case for the, the Ted Thompson player. And this is, it is corner and safety. He tends to draft them with similar threshold points. The expectation is they're going to be 5'11". They run at least 4'5'7". And at least a 6'8'7 three cone. So we're talking about a little bit similar numbers to the receivers. Similar thresholds. But actually a higher threshold on that three cone. And if the Packers are going to take a corner... There are some corners that are going to be available. There are a ton of them in this draft. A ton. I I could see the Packers taking two or three of them. Someone like Denzel Ward, he's 5'10". Reminds a lot of people of Casey Hayward because of the size. He's a little bit slightly of, slight of build. If he falls to 14, he's considered to be a top 5, top 8 pick. If he falls to 14, does he have a good enough value there to buck their trend? My, my position would be yes. 
He is so sticky in coverage. Jair Alexander from Louisville is 5'11", 192. If, he, if it turns out he's really more like 5'9", and 7'8", 5'10", I know that seems like splitting hairs. It is. But this is what the Packers do. This is what teams around the league do. This is why you, you're going to hear about things like hand size. There are thresholds. Quarterback height. There are thresholds. Arm length. There are thresholds. It seems like minutia, but it is important. Mike Hughes from UCF, he's the kind of guy, 5'11", 191. Is he really 5'11"? Duke Dawson from Florida in the middle rounds, he's 5'10". And he's probably not going to run fast enough. He's out. Quentin Meeks, he's big enough, probably not fast enough. From Stanford, he's probably out. So there are going to be a lot of players that the, that we can just, as fans and observers and, and media, can just basically cross off the board. Justice every year puts together an actual Packers board of, of guys who fit their needs, or not their needs, guys who fit their thresholds and the projected rounds where they could be taken. And, and inevitably, there's only seven, eight guys in any given round who fit the Packers' thresholds. And Justice, he he pretty consistently gets this right. Jo- one of the reasons he didn't have Josh Jones last year is Josh Jones didn't do the agility drills, but he had Kevin King. He had Dean Lowry. He had Kenny Clark two years ago. Vince Beagle was a threshold guy. Justice had that. So... These these are these are thresholds that it's not that you can take them to the bank, but it's pretty close. You can you can go round by round and use it as a cheat sheet to say, okay, who are the guys still available that fit what the Packers want? The good news for Packer fans is the popular names, Josh Jackson, Derwin James, those names are are probably going to fit the bill unless they have some issue with the three cone. And they could. I suppose. I think Derwin James in particular is a good enough athlete that I'm not worried about it. But who knows? Josh Jackson, same thing. Again, if guys are falling past where, you know, far past where it seems like they should, Green Bay is willing to to catch them. That's how a good team should operate. And that's how they do operate. The other position that I think is worth getting into before the combine, most of the other positions require too much uh, testing, too much athletic data for us to make any sort of prejudgments. But the Packers' offensive line is where these are the most consistent. And, and interestingly, it's also where we have the most data points because they've taken 15, or they took 15 heading into last year's draft. All of them are six, three and a half or over. That is a big threshold because two guards who could be on Green Bay's radar, at particularly at 45, but I think Isaiah Wynn could be in play at 14. Isaiah Wynn from Georgia is six, three. Will Hernandez, the guard from UTEP is six, three. Are they willing to buck their trends for two very, very, very good guards? History suggests they are not. Sean Walsh is another guy later, probably a day two pick from Iowa. He's 6'2". Cross him off. He's not going to be a Packer. And then there are two centers, Billy Price and James Daniels. They're both 6'3". 
I know it seems pedantic. It does. It is. Six, three and a half. That's the cutoff. They like tall offensive linemen. They always have. And I think they will continue to. This is an interesting problem, though, in a draft that lacks a depth of talent. There are only offensive linemen worth drafting in about the first three or four rounds. And the Packers may look elsewhere. They may just say, look, we're good with our guys. And then they may take a sixth, seventh round guy. Maybe they trade up. You need to get talent at the offensive line in the first two or three rounds in any draft. But the Packers have always been able to mine talent in the mid-rounds. The thing about that is those mid-round players have had first-round bodies and athletic ability. Almost all of them have, have had a 7-7-1 three-cone time or better. And nearly all of them have had a 4.75 short shuttle or better. 40 time, not as important. Lateral ability, lateral quickness, and size. If you are big and you can move side to side, you can play offensive line for the Green Bay Packers. If you aren't, then you can't. And yes, that can mean missing out on some good offensive linemen, but it also means hitting on Josh Sitton, on David Bakhtiari, on TJ Lang, on Corey Lindsley, on JC Treader. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. That's not even high pick, guys. That doesn't even count Brian Bulaga in the first round. Again, I understand that this seems cumbersome to you know, pay attention to. This feels like minutia, and it is. But those little details, those, those inches, just those little bits, the Packers go the extra inch, pun intended, to get these things right. And that's why they so consistently build a contending team. All right, we'll be back on Wednesday. We won't be talking much combine then. Uh, we're going to do a positional review. And we're going to do the offensive line because I think the Packers are going to draft one. And I want to talk about some of those prospects as we move forward here. And it's tough because they're going to have to take one early if they want one. And maybe they don't want one that bad. And maybe they go out and sign someone. Maybe they re-sign Jari Evans. And they're in less dire of a situation to get one. I really like the idea of Isaiah Wynn, but they probably would have to take him at 14. He's probably not going to fall to 45. It is what it is. They're going to have to figure this out. I'm glad I don't have to make these decisions. We'll be back on Wednesday. Keep an eye out for my mock draft tomorrow at Fansided. Keep an eye out at Acme Packing Company for content throughout the week, combine content, and a lot more. And always stay locked on Packers. for listening to the Locked On Podcast Network, but why stop now? Check out the daily Locked On Podcast Network for your favorite NBA team. Find it right now in your favorite podcast app and be sure to subscribe or follow so you never miss an episode. The Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.